0: body aches at bedtime, Sierra Sil is a natural mineral supplement that supports joint health, calms inflammation, and we're so sure it'll work for you as it has for me and my husband for over 10 years. It has a money-back guarantee. Go to Sierrasil.com, S-I-E-R-R-A-S-I-L, and use the code DRIFT for 10% off. Hello, I'm Erin, and welcome to Drift made possible by envy pillow created by two registered nurses in Canada envy pillow has a unique ergonomic design to reduce wrinkles help with tmj pain and align your neck and spine learn more in the morning at envyenvypillow.com we have a story for you that is a fairy tale i hadn't heard before One that may sound like it has shades of sleeping beauty, but in this one, which I've called Defying Gravity, based on The Light Princess by George MacDonald, tailored just for you here on Drift, you'll meet a girl who floats. And may it bring you to a lofty and lovely place of rest. First, though... Let's get you into a comfy place of relaxation and of being ready to receive. Now, if you are ready, take one deep breath in and out. And now, in again. And as you exhale, feel your body sinking into your mattress, your chair, your airline seat, wherever you may be. This is a time for you, for rest, for no cares at all. Just be, okay? Now we're going to let your whole body know this message and we'll start down at your feet. Now if you're able, I want you to scrunch up your toes. Now relax them, tense up your calf muscles and let them go. Now your thighs tighten Mm. and relax. Let's move up to your backside. Clenching and then releasing. Do you feel the difference? You should start noticing how heavy your legs feel. Let's do that with your abs. Clench that tummy. Let it go. Your pecs your chest. Release and to your shoulders, bringing them up to your ears and then letting them release down, way down. Clench your fists, then slowly relax and open your hands, wiggling your fingers and waving goodbye to the cares of your day. Good. Make your arms rigid, and then let them go. Now your neck. Do you feel little crackles like I do when you tense your neck? It holds so much during the day, so just let it go. Release. Maybe you just let out a sigh. (laughs) To your face now. Relax your brow your eyelids closing heavily and your mouth. Thank you for sharing this time just for you. With one more big inhale and exhale. Think these words. I am safe. I am loved. I am at peace. And now, If you're ready, let's drift. Once upon a time, there lived a king and queen who were blessed with a lovely daughter. The day drew near when the infant princess must be christened. The king wrote all the invitations, but somebody was forgotten. Unfortunately, it was his own sister. Princess Pamela was a sour, spiteful creature, and what made it very imprudent in the king to forget her was that she was a witch. After waiting in vain for an invitation, she made up her mind at last to go without one and make the whole family miserable just like her. So she went to the palace was kindly received by the happy monarch, who forgot that he had forgotten her. When they were all gathered about the font, she managed to throw something into the water. And when the water was applied to the child's face, the evil princess turned round in her place three times and muttered, Light of spirit by my charms, light of body. Every part, never weary human arms, only crush thy parents' hearts. As a shudder went through them all, the baby began to laugh and squeal, while the nurse gave a smothered cry, for she could not feel the baby in her arms. But she clasped it tight and said nothing. The mischief was done. It turns out her atrocious aunt had deprived the child of all her weight. How? Why, in the easiest way in the world. She had only to destroy the law of gravity. The first sign at home of this unhappy spell came the moment the nurse began to bounce the baby up and down. She flew from her arms towards the ceiling Happily, the resistance of the air brought her ascent to a close within a foot of it, and there she stayed, horizontal, kicking and laughing, until the nurse climbed a ladder and caught the floating tail of the baby's long clothes. When the strange occurrence came to be known, there was a terrible commotion in the palace. Oh, ho, said the king. Princess Pamela has bewitched her. She was watched very carefully after this incident with the nurse, but countless were the odd occurrences resulting from this spell. One day, the queen suggested to the king that he might try to apologize to his sister, and he agreed. He went the next morning to her house, and— making a very humble apology, begged Princess Pamela to undo the spell. But she declared gravely that she knew nothing about it. The king returned disconsolate. What if she should marry and have children? In the course of a hundred years, the air might be as full of floating children as of leaves in autumn. Meanwhile, the little princess laughed and grew plump and tall. She reached the age of seventeen, without having fallen into any bad scrapes or committed anything worse than laughing at everybody and everything that came in her way. She never could see the serious side of anything. Even so, it's important to note here that she never smiled the king and queen resolved to talk with their daughter about the whole situation. My dear child, said the king, you must be aware by now that you are not exactly like other people. Oh, you dear funny papa. I have got a nose and two eyes and all the rest. So have you. So has mama. Wouldn't you like to be able to walk like other people? asked the king. No, indeed, you are all so slow. But I do have a curious feeling sometimes that I'm the only person with any sense in the whole world. Later, her parents talked again in private, and they agreed to consult the College of Metaphysicians. That they did, but the philosophers, suggested dangerous experiments, and their majesties had too much tenderness for their volatile offspring to subject her to them. Now, perhaps the best thing for the princess would have been to fall in love, but how a princess who had no gravity could fall into anything, well, that's the big question. As for her own feelings on the subject of love, She didn't even know that there was such a beehive of honey and stings to be fallen into. But now, another curious fact about her. The palace was built on the shores of the loveliest lake in the world, and the princess loved this lake more than father or mother. Why? Because the moment she got into it, she recovered the natural right of which she had been so wickedly deprived, namely, gravity. Whether this was because water had been used to convey the spell, we do not know. But it is certain that she could swim and dive like a duck, and the manner in which this alleviation of her misfortune was discovered was as follows. One summer evening, during the Carnival of the Country, she had been taken upon the lake in the royal barge. In the middle of the lake, she wanted to get into the Lord Chancellor's barge, for his daughter, who was her friend, was in it. As the barges approached each other, the king caught up the princess to throw her into the Chancellor's barge, but he lost his balance and as the king fell back into the boat, she fell into the water. With a burst of delighted laughter, she disappeared in the lake. A cry of horror ascended from the boats, but then they suddenly heard the princess's laugh over the water from far away. There she was, swimming like a swan. She seemed more sedate than usual. Perhaps that was because a great pleasure spoils laughing. After this, the passion of her life was to get into the water, and she was always the better behaved, and the more beautiful, the more she had of it. Any day she might be seen, a streak of white in the blue water, lying as still as the shadow of a cloud, or shooting along like a dolphin, disappearing and coming up again far off. She would have been in the lake at night, too, perhaps jumping in from her room's balcony, if she could have. But she had as great a dread of the air as some children have of the water, for the slightest gust of wind would blow her away, and if she gave herself a push towards the water and mist, there she would be, suspended in her nightgown, till she was seen and rescued from a tree in the morning. Another reason for her being fond of the water was that in it alone she enjoyed any freedom. No troops and horses accompanying her, for fear the wind might grab her and take her away. But she said goodbye to all this ceremony when she got into the water. And so remarkable were its effects that the philosophers suggested that water was so helpful, perhaps if the poor princess could be made to cry, she might recover her lost gravity. But how, how to make the princess cry was as impossible as to make her heavy. It was at about this time that the son of a king, who lived a thousand miles from Lagobel, set out to look for the daughter of a queen. He traveled far and wide, but whenever he found a princess, he also found some fault in her, for he was a fine, handsome, brave, generous, well-bred, well-behaved youth. He had heard about our princess, but thought, What could a prince do with a princess who'd lost her gravity? One day, he lost his way in a great forest, and after many days, he came upon signs of a neighborhood. He paused and listened. Strange sounds came across the nearby lake in the gathering darkness. It was, in fact, the princess laughing, which the prince mistook for screaming. Looking over the lake, he saw something white in the water, and in an instant he had torn off his tunic, kicked off his sandals, and plunged in. He soon reached the white object and found that it was a woman. Well, with great effort and struggle, he brought her to shore. He gave her a strong lift out of the water to lay her on the bank. But her gravitation ceasing the moment she left the water. Away she went up into the air, scolding and screaming. You naughty, naughty, naughty man, she cried. No one had ever angered her before. When the prince saw her rising, he thought he must have mistaken a great swan for a lady. He stood in the water, staring. Am forgetting to get out. But with the princess disappearing, he scrambled on shore and found her climbing down the branches of a lofty fir towards its base. What business had you to pull me down out of the water? I never did you any harm. Pardon me, I didn't mean to hurt you. The prince now saw that he had come upon the bewitched princess, and had already offended her. Put me up right now. Up where, you beauty? asked the prince. He had fallen in love with her almost already, for her anger made her more charming, and she had not a single fault about her, except, of course, that she had not any gravity. No prince, however. Would judge of a princess by weight. In the water, you stupid, answered the princess. Come then, said the prince. As she clung to him, he thought he was in a delightful dream, notwithstanding the torrent of musical abuse with which she berated him. They came upon the lake at another part, where the bank was twenty-five feet high. The princess snapped. You took me out, put me in again. Very well, said the prince, and catching her up in his arms, he sprang with her from the rock. The princess had just time to give one shriek of delight and laughter before the water closed over them. When they came to the surface, she found that for a moment or two she couldn't even laugh, for she had gone down with such a rush that it was hard to catch her breath. How do you like falling in? said the prince. After some effort, the princess panted out, Is that what you call falling in? Yes, answered the prince. How do you like falling in? said the princess. Beyond everything, he answered. For I have fallen in with the only perfect creature I ever saw. Well, that was the most delightful fun I ever had in my life. I never fell before. To think I am the only person in my father's kingdom that can't fall. Here, the poor princess looked almost sad. I shall be most happy to fall in with you any time you like, said the prince devotedly. Thank you. Let us have a swim together. And away they went, swimming and diving and floating, until they heard cries along the shore and saw lights glancing in all directions. It was now quite late, and there was no moon. I must go home, said the princess. You see where that green light is burning? That's the window of my room. Now, if you would just swim there with me, very quietly, And when we are under the balcony, give me such a push. I'll catch hold of the balcony and get in at the window. Will you be in the lake tomorrow night? Perhaps, was the princess's answer. The prince whispered as he gave her the parting lift. Don't tell. To which the princess gave him a look, which seemed to say, it's too good fun to spoil that way. The prince could scarcely believe his eyes when he saw her ascend slowly, grasp the balcony, and disappear through the window. He swam away quietly. Then he landed in search of his tunic and sword and found them again in the dark. Then he headed round the lake to the other side. He found a spot from which he could see the green light in the princess's room and where, even in the broad daylight, he would be in no danger of being discovered. It was a cave, and as he lay down on a bed of leaves, he dreamed that he was swimming with the princess. The next morning, from his watch cave, he saw the princess already floating about in the lake, attended by a crowd in boats. He waited till twilight, and only the princess's own boat remained. But she did not want to go home yet, and the prince thought he saw her order the boat to the shore without her. It rowed away, and now only one white speck remains. Then the prince began to sing to her. Before he had even finished his song, the princess was just under the place where he sat and was looking up to find him, Would you like a fall, princess, said the prince, looking down. Yes, if you please, prince. How do you know I am a prince, princess? Because you are a very nice young man, prince. Their swim was delicious. Night after night they met and swam about in the dark, clear lake where the prince often fancied that he was swimming in the sky instead of the lake. The prince soon found out that while in the water, the princess was not so forward or sharp-tongued as on shore, nor did she laugh so much. And when she did laugh, it was more gently. But when the prince began to talk to her about love, she always laughed at him. After a while, she began to look puzzled, as if she were trying to understand what he meant, but could not. The princess's pleasure in the lake had grown to a passion, so imagine then her consternation when, diving with the prince one night, a sudden suspicion seized her that the lake was not so deep as it used to be. She carefully inspected the rocks, and then swam home without saying a word. The prince withdrew to his cave, perplexed and distressed. Next day's light only strengthened her fears. Indeed, the surface of the lake was slowly sinking. The poor princess nearly went out of her mind. The lake, which she loved more than any living thing, was dying before her eyes. She could not bear to swim in it any more, and began to pine away. People said she would not live an hour after the lake was gone, but she never cried. The king made a proclamation to all the kingdom that whosoever discovered the cause of the lake's demise would be richly rewarded. Now the fact was, the old princess was to blame. When she heard that her niece found more pleasure in the water than anybody, she went into a rage and cursed herself for her want of foresight. She cast a spell that would drain the precious lake dry. Not only that, for Princess Pamela's envy and evil knew no boundaries every spring in the country, died away. The next day there was no sound of falling water to be heard along the borders of the lake. Not once, since the night when the princess left him so abruptly, had the prince again seen his dear princess. He had sat and sung and looked in vain for her. Once he discovered she had been right and the level of the water was dropping, he made a plan. He disguised himself and going to the palace, requested to see the Lord Chamberlain. It was he who granted the prince's prayer to be made shine man to the princess. He learned all he could about the princess who kept to her room with the curtains drawn to shut out the dying lake. She felt as if the waters were her soul drying up within her, first to mud, then to madness and death. As for the prince, she had forgotten him. However much she had enjoyed his company in the water, she did not care for him without it. The lake went on sinking, till at last it was all but gone, with only a few of the deepest pools remaining. One day, a party of youngsters found themselves on the brink of one of these pools in the center of the lake. It was a deep, rocky basin, and looking in, they saw at the bottom something that shone yellow in the sun. A boy jumped in and dived for it. It was a plate of gold covered with writing. They carried it straight to the king. The plate said if the lake should disappear, They must find the hole through which the water ran, but only the body of a living man could stanch the flow. The man must give himself of his own will, and the lake must take his life as it filled. Otherwise, the offering would be no good. If the nation could not provide one hero, it was time it should perish. Well, the king was disheartened what man was willing to sacrifice himself? Still, he announced his request for someone to do just that. No one came forward. But when he heard of it, the prince sat down and thought, she will die if I don't do it, and life would be nothing to me without her, so I shall lose nothing by doing it. Here the poor prince gave a sigh. It is rather hard to be drowned by inches, but perhaps the princess shall be beside me all the time. So I shall see her once more, kiss her perhaps, and die looking in her eyes. It will be no death. All right, I am ready. He kissed the princess's boot, laid it down, and hurried to the king's apartment. He burst in, saying, Your Majesty, I'm your butler. What do you want? replied the king. I will plug your leaky lake, Grand Monarch, said the prince. Oh, I am obliged to you, you young fool. Then we will go and look for the hole at once, said his majesty, and proceeded to call some attendants. Stop, please, your majesty. I have a condition to make. What? exclaimed the king. A condition. How dare you? What is it? growled the king, knowing that no one else had stepped forward. I ask that while I wait to drown, the princess, your daughter, shall go with me, feed me with her own hands, and look at me now and then, to comfort me. As soon as the water is up to my eyes, she may go and be happy and forget her poor shoeshine man. Do you grant it? persisted the prince. Of course I do, replied the king. Very well, I am ready. The king gave directions to his officers to find the hole in the lake at once. It was in the middle of a stone near the center of the lake, in the very pool where the golden plate had been found. It was a three-cornered hole of no great size. There was water all round the stone, but not much at all was flowing through the hole. The prince went to dress for the occasion, for he was resolved to die like a prince. When the princess heard that a man had offered to die for her, she jumped off the bed, feeble as she was, and danced about the room for joy. She didn't care who the man was. The hole needed stopping. In an hour or two, everything was ready. Her maid dressed her, and the princess was carried to the side of the lake. When she saw it, she shrieked and covered her face with her hands. They carried her across to the stone, where they had already placed a small boat for her. The water was not deep enough to float it, but they hoped it would be before long. They laid her on cushions, placed in the boat wines and fruits and other nice things, and stretched a canopy over all. In a few minutes, the prince appeared. The princess recognized him at once. Here I am, he said. Put me in. They told me it was a shine," said the princess. So I am, said the prince. I blacked your boots three times a day because they were all I could get of you. Put me in. The prince put both his legs into the hole, sitting on the stone, and stooping forward, covered the corner that remained open with his two hands. In this uncomfortable position, he resolved to await his fate, and turning to the people, said, Now you can go. The people obeyed. And left soon a little wave flowed over the stone and wet one of the prince's knees. But he did not mind it much, he began to sing. But eventually, he was too much overcome to sing any more. This is very kind of you, prince, said the princess at last, quite coolly, as she lay in the boat with her eyes shut. Again, a wavelet. And another and another flowed over the stone and wet both the prince's knees, but he did not speak or move. Four hours passed in this way, the princess apparently asleep, and the prince very patient. But he was very disappointed in his position, for he had none of the consolation that he had hoped for. Just then the princess started crying. I'm afloat, I'm afloat, and the small boat bumped against the stone. Princess, your papa promised that you should look at me, and you haven't looked at me once. Did he? Then I suppose I must. Just give me a glass of wine and a biscuit, said the prince very humbly. With all my heart, said the princess. She got the wine and biscuit and, leaning over the side of the boat towards him, was compelled to look at him. Why, Prince, you don't look well. Are you sure you don't mind it? Not a bit, he answered, feeling very faint indeed. Only I shall die before it is of any use to you, unless I have something to eat. There then, she said, holding out the wine to him. Ah you must feed me. I dare not move my hands. The water would run away directly. Good gracious, said the princess, and she began at once to feed him with bits of biscuit and sips of wine. As she fed him, he tried to kiss the tips of her fingers now and then. She didn't seem to mind it, and the prince felt better. Now, for your own sake, princess, You must look at me, or else I shall not be able to keep up. The sun went down, and the moon rose, and gush after gush, the waters were rising up the prince's body. They were up to his waist now. Why can't we go and have a swim? said the princess. I shall never swim again, said the prince. Oh, I forgot, said the princess and was silent so the water grew and grew and rose up and up on the prince and the princess sat and looked at him she fed him now and then the night wore on the waters rose and rose the moon rose likewise higher and higher and shone full on the face of the dying prince the water Was up to his neck. Will you kiss me, princess? said he feebly. Yes, I will, answered the princess, and kissed him with a long, sweet, cold kiss. Ah, now, he said with a sigh of content, I die happy. He did not speak again. The water rose and rose. It touched his chin. It touched his lower lip. It touched between his lips. He shut them hard to keep it out. The princess began to feel strange. It touched his upper lip. He breathed through his nostrils. The princess looked wild. It covered his nostrils. Her eyes looked scared and shone strange in the moonlight. His head fell back, the water closed over it, and the bubbles of his last breath rose up through the water. The princess gave a shriek and sprang into the lake. She laid hold first of one leg and then of the other and pulled and tugged. But she could not move either. She was frantic. She got a hold of him and held his head above the water, which was possible now that his hands were no longer on the hole. But it was of no use, for he was past breathing. Love and water brought back all her strength. She got under the water and pulled, and pulled with her whole might, till at last she got one leg out. The other followed. How she got him into the boat, she never could tell. But when she did, she seized the oars and rowed and rowed, though she had never rowed before, till she got to the landing stairs of the palace. By this time her people were on the shore, for they had heard her shriek. She made them carry the prince to her own room, and lay him in her bed, and light a fire, and send for the doctors. Somehow, the doctors never came, so the princess and her old nurse were left with the prince. But the nurse was a wise woman and knew what to do. They tried everything for a long time, without success. The princess was nearly distracted between hope and fear, but she tried on and on, one thing after another, and everything. Over and over again. At last, when they had all but given it up, just as the sun rose, the prince opened his eyes. The princess burst into a passion of tears and fell on the floor. There she lay for an hour, and her tears never ceased. All the pent up crying of her life was spent now. And then a rain came on such as had never been seen in that country. The sun shone all the time, and the great drops, which fell straight to the earth, shone likewise. The palace was in the heart of a rainbow. The torrents poured from the mountains, and if it had not been for its subterraneous outlet, the lake would have overflowed and inundated the country. It was full from shore to shore. But the princess did not heed the lake. She lay on the floor and wept. When the rain and her tears abated a bit, she tried to rise and found, to her astonishment, that she could not. After many efforts, she succeeded in getting up on her feet, but she tumbled down again. Hearing her fall, her old nurse uttered a yell of delight and ran to her screaming, My darling child, she's found her gravity. Oh, that's it, is it? Said the princess, rubbing her shoulder and knee. It's very unpleasant. Hurrah, cried the prince from the bed. If you've come round, princess, so have I. How's the lake? Full, answered the nurse. Then we're all happy. (laughs) That we are indeed. Answered the princess, sobbing. And there was rejoicing all over the country that rainy day. There was such jubilation as was never heard of before. Of course, the prince and princess were betrothed at once, but the princess had to learn to walk before they could be married with any propriety. And this was not so easy at her time of life for she could walk no more than a baby. She was always falling down and hurting herself. It was a long time before she got reconciled to walking. But the pain of learning it was quite counterbalanced by two things, either of which would have been sufficient consolation. The first was that the prince himself was her teacher, and the second, that she could tumble into the lake As often as she pleased. Still, she preferred to have the prince jump in with her, and the splash they made before was nothing to the splash they made now. The lake never sank again. In time, it was twice as deep as before. As for the evil princess, the water flooded her house, burying her in its ruins. And there she lies to this day. So the prince and princess lived and were happy and had children of boys and girls, not one of whom was ever known on the most critical occasion to lose even the smallest atom of his or her due proportion of gravity. (laughs) And with those thoughts of happily ever after, of love and finding joy, In staying grounded, I wish you a good night and sweet dreams.